With us today is Admiral James DeVrides. He was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO for four years. Uh, he is now uh, uh, with the Carlisle Group, Vice uh, Chairman, and uh, he is uh, Chairman of the Board of the uh, uh, Rockefeller Foundation, and one smart guy and a good friend, and there's nobody that knows more about the heck, what the heck is going on in the world than he does. Admiral, good morning. Great to hear your voice, John. Always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, there's so many things going on in the world. I mean, uh, I, I hated the last time we talked a few weeks ago, I hated to joke around and say how many, how many countries have to be involved before we call it a world war. But <laughs> I, I, don't think, I don't see things getting much better. Uh, let's talk about Russia, Ukraine. Uh, uh, Russia is putting out statements that they're, we're underestimating them. Uh, Sweden has become a member of NATO, I, I believe now. Uh, Poland is uh, pulling out, putting, uh, putting out that they're afraid they're going to be invaded. I mean, what is the truth? Yeah, let's start in Europe. So both sides, both Russia and Ukraine, are increasingly exhausted by this war in terms of their military capability and in terms of the economic sanctions that are being applied on both sides. So both countries are struggling. And, of course, that's bad news for Russia and Ukraine. But globally, it could move us toward a moment where the sides want to negotiate. Now, there's a good bit to go before we get to that, John. The next big thing will be as we come out of uh, the winter stalemate, Ukraine will have uh, a new military advantage. They're going to have F-16 aircraft supplied by the West. Um, hopefully our Congress will uh, get the job done in terms of continuing aid to Ukraine. Europeans are certainly doing so. Assuming that military aid continues and assuming those F-16s hit the battlefield, I think Ukraine will have a, a pretty good bounce in their step in the spring. Uh, on the Russian side, their new addition is a lot of material coming in from North Korea. So both sides are facing challenges in their military inventories, but both sides have uh, outside sources. When I kind of put it all together, John, I think toward the end of this year, probably after the U.S. elections, we've got a moment for potential negotiation. So I'll, I'll wrap up by saying, uh, well, how will this end? You know, what what will the conclusion look like? And I think it is a better than even chance that ultimately this will end like the Korean War, meaning that Russia will probably still have control of some portion of Ukraine, Crimea, the land bridge to Russia. On the other hand, I see Ukraine coming into NATO. I think the outline of that deal will probably become more clear as this year goes on. Uh, Admiral, there's also uh, rumors around our military uh, that we're, we're short on ammunition, we're short on various uh, ammo, and uh, also about a lot of discontent uh, that uh, things are not going right. Uh, what do you, I mean, you, you've been there forever. You've been in charge. Uh, and what do you hear behind the scenes? Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, the U.S. military is forward deployed. 
conducting highly capable and credible combat operations. Um, we've got uh, two carrier strike groups that are in active combat off the Arabian Peninsula. They're knocking down Houthi pirate uh, missile sites. Uh, they are knocking down missiles being fired at global commerce. Uh, likewise, the U.S. military in Ukraine is uh, part of NATO, is supporting the Ukrainians. They fought the Russians to a standstill. Last week, U.S. Navy warships passed through the Taiwan Strait, sending a signal to China uh, of our determination to keep those waters as international and free. So point one The U.S. military is out and about the world and is performing very, very well. Point two, uh, shortages of ammunition. Um, I think that some of our surplus ammunition stocks have been depleted in order to support, for example, Ukraine and Israel at the moment. However, I assure you, John, uh, the Department of Defense would never cut into the ammunition and missiles that are designated to support our global contingency warfighting plans. These are op plans, con plans. Um, We would never cut into those. So, um, yes, the overall excess ammunition that we've had at one point uh, is now flowing, I think, appropriately to uh, Ukraine and to uh, Israel, both sensible uh, uses of that. But um, the bottom line is, We need to uh, increase the capability of U.S. defense base. And I'll finish with this. I think the real challenge here is not about the current moment. It's about the rising threat of China. And can our defense industrial base uh, compete with China's, which is increasing uh, exponentially, frankly? So uh, I'm, I'm satisfied the U.S. military is quite capable at the moment. Uh, and it's proving it, but it's the future we ought to worry about, and China is the pacing threat. Uh, President Xi, does, you know, he wants more commerce with the United States. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's rumors uh, going around he is uh, getting rid of certain generals and and keeping others because he wants generals that will follow his uh, orders hundred percent. What do you hear? Uh, is are they pro-commerce and pro? Rather have peace than war. What, what, give us your your feelings. In terms of President Xi, he is consolidating control of the Chinese military. He's already firmly in control of the government. Um, he wants to make sure that. Both the generals, the admirals, the leading political actors in China, the leading business men and women of China are all on board with the vision of the Chinese Communist Party. In terms of his objective, his number one objective, John, is the Chinese economy. It's still in in the doldrums, still would say in a Navy context, his ship is in irons. It doesn't have the the weight on the ship. It's not. Um, operating well, and that's because of the mishandling of COVID for three years. China has just not emerged from the pandemic and gotten back to the kind of consistent 5 to 7% growth that they really need. By some estimates, their growth may be as low as 1% to 2%. Um, 
perhaps a bit higher. That's not sufficient to keep the population. They have very high youth unemployment, always a key sign of discontent. Their demographics are very bad. Uh, Women are not producing enough children. Therefore, their population is declining year after year. So when you put all that together, if you're President Xi, your number one objective is a functioning global economy. And that's why, and this is a good thing, China is cooperating with the United States in trying to put pressure on Iran to stop these piracy attacks, for example, uh, off the coast of the Red Sea. So put it all together, she is still firmly in control. He's not looking for a war. He would like to get the global economy going in hopes that that will lift the boat of the Chinese economy. And the one exception to everything I just said would be if Taiwan declared independence and really tried to break away. I think that could lead to a war. I don't foresee that happening. Taiwan just had an election. The candidate was not the preferred one of China, but it's still that new president, President Lai, who will be installed in office in April. He's not looking for independence. He's not looking for a war. So I think overall, U.S.-China relations are a, a, a good spot compared to what's going on in the Middle East and compared to what's going on in Ukraine. Understood. Now, there was Iran. Why are there such sensitivities in Washington from the current administration on Iran? Uh, there was a the Wall Street Journal uh, carried an article that we gave them intelligence that uh, Saudi Arabia's ISIS was going to attack. They didn't believe it. But we gave them the intelligence, according to the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, that is surprising to me. I, for one, um, don't understand why we would want to provide intelligence about a terrorist attack to an Iranian government that is uh, attacking us um, through proxies, uh, through the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea, their proxies in Iraq and Syria are attacking our troops. So I am perplexed as to why we would uh, provide them intelligence uh, because we're in a near state of war with Iran right now. Uh, Having said that, we then saw the callous behavior of the Iranians. I suppose they didn't believe us, but um, almost 100 of their people were killed at that uh, ceremony where we warned them uh, there would be a terrorist attack. I think the the key to understand here is that Iran, through its proxies, the Houthis in the Red Sea, Hamas in Gaza, and Hezbollah north of Israel occupying the state of Lebanon, in all three of those places, they are attacking us, they're attacking Israel, they would seek to do damage to the Gulf Arab states, Saudi Arabia and UAE, who are our partners and allies and friends. Um, Iran is no friend to the United States, and I think we need to increase the military pressure on Iran. Understood. Last question. Uh, My good friend, who's on one of the Navy boards, Leo Koulis, says to me that they're concerned that the Navy needs more ships, they need more uh, support. You've been there forever. Tell me what, what your thoughts are. I'll give you the numbers, John. We've got about 300 significant military warships in the United States Navy. 
China has 350, and they are building more than we are. So you don't have to be a Nobel Prize winning mathematician to realize the number of Chinese ships is going to continue to outpace us. Ours are bigger. We have nuclear power. Um, we have a lot of capability. We have a lot more experience. But quantity has a quality all its own. And therefore, I think your friend is correct. We need to build more warships. We need to think about a U.S. Navy that approaches 350 ships. And all you have to do, John, is look around the world and look at the demand signal. Uh, we have carriers in the eastern Mediterranean and in the uh, Red Sea, in the Arabian Gulf, in combat. We have um, our carriers in the western Pacific deterring China uh, from claiming the entire South China Sea as territorial waters. We have carriers operating in the North Atlantic. And, and with those carriers have to come the cruisers, the destroyers, the frigates, the oilers that keep them supplied at sea. So all of that is crucial um, if we are going to maintain global security. And, and final thought, we don't want to be the world's policemen, but we want to live in a safe neighborhood. And sometimes that means having very capable military forces. We need a bigger Navy to do that. Admiral, thank you for your common sense. Thank you for uh, uh, everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. And I hope you uh, higher positions are available to you in the future. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, John. Great talking to you. Thank you.